Pam Ochoa. We're here for a bonus episode of Craft and Draft. And, uh, you know, these are always special episodes because we're in here. We're with our patrons only. It's just us. We know them. We know their names. It's not always the same with the regular podcast. We don't know everyone that listens to the show. And, you know, they're just uh, people that tune in. And uh, some of them have reached out, but a lot of them haven't. But this is a, these are special. We know these people. They're a part of our Craft and Draft family over here. And uh, we our last episode, we started it wrong. We started with a question, and then we <laughs> kept the question. But we're here to talk about workshop moments at the beginning of these uh, episodes. You know, the, the good, the bad, everything in between. And my question to you is, what was a, a workshop moment this year? I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna talk for a second and let you think. This year, a workshop moment that it just it maybe it reinvigorated your your passion for workshop at a time where maybe you weren't feeling so passionate about it. Maybe it was a diamond in the rough during you know the many points during a year where things just don't flow as much, or maybe it was just something that stands out as you're thinking right now. But what was this moment this last year? Because we're in summer break, as hopefully everyone knows from our last episode, but uh, summer break's here. We're here. It's a time of reflection. Reflect on your workshop uh, this year. What was something that stood out? Well, I had a situation, and you're well aware of it, a student that just wasn't doing well in my room. And so I was really a bit discouraged because I'm not used to that, honestly. And uh, the they wanted to be in your class. So they left me to be in your class. But, the, but because the student wanted to be in your class so much, it was really, if, sorry, but it was ruining the mood the attitude and the tone of my workshop and that this class was pretty smart and they started out pretty good. But then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not going to how, you know, I, I really got discouraged because it just was not flowing the way my workshops typically flow. And it, uh, for everybody out there, uh, for you guys that are listening, y'all know Jacob, you know how he is. Well, I got news. It's all true. Everybody loves to be in his <laughs> class. And I'm an old lady. <laughs> so I don't play the hip music and all of that. And so at first the kids were like, but I'd rather be a chess dance class. And of course, we did have one that was in your class and uh, he wanted to go to your class. He went, he stayed for two days that, that helped, but that's not the workshop moment I'm talking about. Cause he stayed two days and came back and said, Oh no, that's too fast for me. I, I need to come back. So that kind of helped me, but that was not the same. I was a bit discouraged because um, the counselor came down to me and asked me what's going on in there. It seems like the kids aren't really liking it. And, um, that's not typical, you know, cause this counselor knew me from another school and I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just having trouble because the student wants to be in Chastain's class so much. And now the mother wants him to be in there. And I just don't know how to compete with this, uh, popularity that Mr. Chastain has, you know, so it was kind of rough, but anyway, and so all the other kids were like, well, this is just, it's just not a good good environment and I'm like but it was a good environment and so anyway he moves to your class so I decided that that very next day I would have a reset now my reset was going back I went through uh, I have this um, uh, 
I get it, it's a notebook that I, I have kept over the years of things that were successful. And so I kind of went back through this dialectical notebook. What did I do? How the kids react? So I went through that and uh, there was um, a, a book that I read uh, with the students. It's it's Tacky the Penguin. It was fun. Tacky the Penguin. It's just a fun piece of write, uh, reading. It's a picture book. And Tacky just doesn't fit in. And he causes all these issues. Uh, but he saves the day. So uh, I use that as my reading-writing connection. Uh, that very next day, we I started over like I would the very beginning of school. Uh, we're reading. And then we, we read for a little while. And everybody was quiet. I played some music. Uh, quiet, you know, music. And then we wrote, I read that, and then we wrote, and then um, moved into whatever else we were doing. But that moment of just, because that book was kind of fun, I think it really helped break the ice because they were all, we were just kind of having this negative vibe. And it was a moment in my workshop that I think it made, a. it, it could have, uh, been broken forever. Does that make sense? Because it was that moment in time we were all at a crossroads. Um, and, and that was, I mean, it could have been very unsuccessful uh, from here on out. But I think because I decided to step back, change and have something kind of fun for them to do the next day, kind of loosen them up, and then also uh, the other thing I did is when it came time for me to talk, my mini lesson was pretty much not uh, chastising anybody, but just saying, hey, um, I'm sorry for the way everything went down the last two days. Um, this is the part I did that was wrong. You know, I got a little upset, you know, and I did. I did get upset by the whole situation and they were all feeling uptight. And I said, so uh, we're going to do this fun thing. and." And um, we're going to start over. So if y'all will start over, I'm starting over. If y'all will start over, and let's just completely start over. And uh, this is what I want workshop to be, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, that class turned out, I mean, the scores, the very next test, you remember we talked we talked about that. Their scores were one of the lowest. And I mean, it jumped. Their scores really jumped on that next test that we gave. And I think it's because we had this reset. And they started buying in. Uh, I had a few uh, fun things for them to do. When I say fun things, it was like some fun reading, kind of a relaxed writing and reading atmosphere. Try to build that back up. Uh, had them share their writing, put them in some groups, let them uh, reset the seating arrangements and actually let them choose who they wanted to sit by uh, rather than being so strict. And so I kind of loosened up a little bit because that's what I needed to do uh, with them at that point. And so that's that's what I did. And um, anyway, that that class, that on-level class uh, was one of my highest set of scores that I had um, at the end of the year. But I think part of it is because we had that reset moment. Uh, I think without that reset moment, if I didn't, if I'd have just kept digging in, digging in, digging in and said, you're going to like this, which I easily could have done because that's the kind of mental state I was in. Like it's not working and I got to make it work. And instead I just decided to sit back, evaluate what I'm doing and see what I can do to rebuild the situation. And I think it made all the difference made all the difference. Of course, I, I went right back to reading and writing uh, and letting and sharing and made sure that we got that in there.
So. Yeah. Well, I think it's a it's a powerful story you just told. You know, it's something that uh, I think we've all gone through something along those lines where things just you know because the, the 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 workshop is so contingent on the a positive re- a relationship kind mm-hmm. of mode, right? It doesn't have to be like, you know, over the top or everyone's super close, but it has to be, you know, this environment where people feel safe to share and to ride and to read. And, you know, if there's animosity or uncomfortableness because of an issue that happened or whatever, then, you know, rebuilding that, it really does go a long way. Cause like you said, you know, it could have been, that could have been a moment where you never really got it back. Right. And that is, uh, that's hard to do, but in any case, uh, that's our workshop moment for today. This is our Patreon episode, so we're gonna we're gonna dive into something that actually came up for uh, from one of our coworkers. Um, you know, because we most everyone on our team uses the craft and draft books to some degree. We don't sit there and go, you know, everyone has to do this. This is something everyone must do, but. Because they see our success, we've shared it before. Uh, a lot of them have jumped in, and they've been very complimentary. Some of them alter a little bit. Some of them change it. Some of them kind of find their own ways with it. And then some of them are very much in line with how we talk about it directly on this podcast. But uh, they w- it came up because our school had sent out an email saying, "What." supplies do we need, right? What what do we want to put on the supply list uh, to put out to parents for this coming up August and everything else? Um, And in that thinking, you know, we've been putting down two journals, two journals, two journals, spiral, composition, doesn't really matter. Um, And then they, uh, our team member just happened to email me, not our one that we work with, but on a different grade level. She goes, why do you use two journals? Why, why two journals? And I just thought it was a really good question. I mean, I'm sure we've addressed this in in a variety of ways, especially kind of in the early days of the podcast where we talked about just kind of the origin of craft and draft. But I think this is something to dive into because, um, I think there's, there's always, there's always nuance to everything we talk about on craft and draft because we're not dogmatic about it. Um, there's a few key pieces that we say are kind of essential. Um, but this is one that I'm curious, uh, to kind of talk about just because I think it's something that people are going to weigh as, as craft and draft reaches more people and more people want to kind of set up their craft books and draft books in their own classrooms and, and see what it's all about and see how they work. Uh, inevitably other teachers are going to go, do I really need to, can it be a binder? Can it be just one big journal? Uh, can it be a bunch of loose leaf papers together? Um, so let's start it off with just a, a straight up question to you. Ochoa is, can it be all of those things? Does it have to be two journals? Well, I'm going to say it has to be two journals. <laughs> this is how she talks That's... in our PLCs, by the way. It doesn't matter what it is. What do you she's mean? Just gonna, she just goes, she's going to agree with whatever it is. Just go, yep, I think that. Or oh, someone, well, or someone will inevitably go, I'm having a real bad day today. And she'll go, I don't have bad days. That's true. I don't, except for I just mentioned one. I can't say that now. Ah, no, um, no, I do. I do think it needs to be two journals uh, in a, in a real serious uh, note, at least for me, it does. Um, 
first of all, I, I want the students to know that that uh, there's a place where we learn, like a, a learning log, so to speak. And when I taught geography, that's really what I called it, a geographer's notebook. And so, uh, and so, and I didn't need to when I taught geography so much. I just needed the geographer's notebook because I needed them to um, interact with just that, but we really didn't have the writing component. So so I, I think the craft book is there for them to learn. And, and I want them to separate it so that they, they can understand that this is what I'm learning from. This is me learning the craft. This is me learning better about reading. This is me learning more about the grammar. This is me learning. So this is all about learning. Okay. And the draft book to me is all about applying. It's it's applying what you've learned. And so I want that to be a little bit separated just because I want them to have a reference book, but then I want them to have a book that's all of their own where they apply. And the thing is about if it, if it was tight. And so, so then you ask, why does it have to be separated? Can it be a front and a back? I guess it could be, but I like this idea of it being separated because I want them to see the two parts. We have this reading area in in my workshop. We have this writing area in my workshop. So when we have the draft book out, the students are very clear and they know that they have to be drafting. And then when it comes time to go back into their drafts, they don't have to figure out, okay, where does it go? We already know it goes in the draft book. Now, if you want to pull it out of the draft book and put put it in the computer at some point through the writing process, I don't have a problem with that. So I really have three places, honestly. And my third place is their final drafts typically go into the into their uh, their uh, digital portfolio uh, that they end up turning into me. So, yeah, I mean, the portfolio definitely is the third place, right? Because. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that. I still have. What's funny is I still have a lot of the the portfolios from uh, the when we really started this in sixth grade. I still have a lot of theirs. We kept those same portfolios up until seventh grade with the group I looped up with, and so it was like doubly filled. But then a lot of them have had digital portfolios for a while now because some of them were hybrid, and so the the Google Drive's fine. I like it. It's just, it's a little messy sometimes, like having a, yeah. the digital portfolio. And I, that's just a symptom of like, you know, kids are extremely technological, but they, they don't have certain skill sets like file organization and right. all this other stuff. And yeah, we can teach that. Right. And I do, but it's still, um, right. it's well, maybe thing. that, maybe that's a topic that we can do our, on our next bonus is talk about portfolios. If everybody yeah. wants to do that, we could spend a time and maybe think about it and figure out how we really what are different ways that we can do portfolios? Because that's sure. not the only way. But that is my third spot. So what do you think about um, what I said about the learning versus the applying? I'm kind of curious about what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I, mine, I, I mean, I agree. My, my The way I kind of break it up is I try to think about it in terms of who owns what. Now, they own both oh. technically, but the craft book is almost entirely driven by us, the teacher. True. Um, not entirely because it is 
it, you know, the, we have the left side, they do reflections over there, and their notes are pretty flexible depending on what's going down. The way they write in them is a little flexible too, but it's systematized in a way that it just kind of goes in order. There's very specific things about it. We model it to put in there, so theirs end up looking a lot like ours. So they just, I would say they probably maybe own 10% of the craft book. It's just not, or I mean, they we own 90% and they own 10 of the craft book, but the draft book, other than a very basic structure, um, is theirs. It, it's their writing journal. It's theirs to mark up. We specifically talk about not writing in their draft books directly, um, you know, using sticky notes. And we do that on the craft book too, but sticky notes or some type of system to where we don't have to directly write on their stuff all the time and it's theirs and they own it. And I think that is one of the key differences. And I was, as I was kind of thinking through this, I was like, I feel like this is vastly important in the work of workshop because our goal, I think big goal is to get kids to really own their reading and writing. Uh, some kids that might look to where they're voracious fiction readers, and sometimes they're nonfiction readers. Sometimes they're not really voracious at any of it, but they become <laughs> uh, acclimated to doing it, and they, they develop a skill set uh, in reading a variety of things. Um, in writing, we want them, you know, big picture, own their writing, and really love to create and craft and, and, and play with words and play with structure and all of that, but... The reality is a lot of kids don't get to that level because it's just not really in their wheelhouse and it's never going to be, but they can still own what they're writing and do that. But I think that ownership piece, separating this, allowing the learning to be something that is guided by us, but their application of their learning is entirely guided by them. I think that's in essence what workshop is is, right? And now we can talk all day long about the nuances of, well, students owning their learning, students owning this, students owning that. I think the craft and draft model and kind of the workshop model we subscribe to is writers learn how to write from better writers. Readers develop the desire and need to read by reading widely and and reading great things. I mean, I feel like a lot of the kids that come to our classes don't like reading simply because no one's ever gave them a book that was that interesting. They've had, you know, we're in middle school. So like we get a lot of kids who just, they kind of see the same things on over, over and over again. And, you know, while Harry Potter and the lightning thief and Hank, the cow dog and captain underpants and everyone be kids, like all of that is great in its own right. There's other books out there and there's other ways to capture that magic of reading. And so, uh, we become, kind of the guiders of that because we believe putting great books in kids' hands is, hey, get them to be a reader, but it's the same thing in writing. We show them great poetry. We use songs. We show them great passages and quotes, and we write in front of them, and we show them, and we go, how does this apply here? And I think that process of taking the complex, taking the world of literature and the world of writing and everything else and bringing it down to student level and then allowing them to kind of play within that framework is what workshop is. It's what we're constantly pushing for. Our workshops are best when kids are actively taking what we've talked about in class and they're applying it in their reading and writing. That is the holy grail of what we do. And so when I think about the two journals, that is just, it's, it's, it's one more way we solidify, uh, 
that there are school things we have to do where we are here to learn, right? This isn't just free time. We've said that multiple times on the podcast. This is something that we're doing actively to get better, but you still get to own a massive portion of this. Um, and I think that is, it's a, it's a psychological thing. It's the same way of, uh, I had to kind of stop this during the COVID time and then we got a new school and that changed a lot of things too. But before that, I, I had this down to like even where the mini lesson happened, right? I had the carpet out. And so the mini lesson, everyone came to the carpet and uh, we sat there for the mini lesson. Then when we go to read, everyone spreads out. So now there's movement involved in how kids uh, mentally start uh, segmenting where they're at in their brain, right? It's just another way of classroom management, but it's classroom management in the sense of, oh, at this time of day, I'm here. When this happens, now my brain's telling me, oh, it's time to read. So now they're no longer, now they're looking forward to it. And at this time of the day, this is what happens and we start writing. And so their brains go, oh, it's time to write. And guess what? After a while, their brain starts showing up with words and all of these processes that they need to take into account and really bring forward. So it's like training your muscles. It's training the brain. And that two journal system, what that does is that just does that more. Because when they open that draft book, guess what their brain starts to tell them over time? Oh, we can do whatever we want here. This is our freedom. This is our safe place. We can put, if we're angry, we can put it if we're sad. We can do it if we want to explore a really complex idea. And I think there's just this like sub- you know, the psychological element to the to the two journal or just any type of system that kind of segments things off into certain things. Now, my question to you as I'm saying all of that is I don't see anything wrong necessarily with putting it all into one. I've, I just made my case as to why I think it should be two. Um, but... What do you, I mean, what do you see if, if someone, I'm sure there are people listening to this who may be thinking about one, maybe they're already doing that. What is, what are the, the benefits, the cost benefit of that? What, what are some of the things that people should maybe take into account if you are using one journal for both the craft book and draft book? Well, first of all, one of the things that my students this year, and they do pretty much every year, um, but this year, one of the things the students were saying was like, Ms. Ochoa, I, I'm already needing a new notebook. I mean, we're doing two, and they're already needing two new notebooks. So when you're looking at doing work the way we do it in the classroom and all the writing that ends up happening, I mean, we develop a lot of volume. And because of that, um, if you just put it in one, they're going to run out of room really fast really fast. So I don't know if there's a cost effective thing about it. I think the only thing that you would do is uh, keep the students from having to, to keep up with two notebooks. Uh, but still, if I did two notebooks, I would have the front and the back. I mean, I would still divide it into two parts. Right. So either way, it's going to be two parts. See, for me, I feel like the the biggest downside to that is just is space. Because if your mm-hmm. kids are really writing as much as they should be during this process and just workshop in general, then they're going to fill up their journals. I mean, we every year by December, kids are filling up their journals. And we, you know, we, like we've said a million times, we don't inherit kids that just love to write. It just happens because of the process and because of the time we give them, right? 
Right. And, and I mean, they do fill it up and I mean, it's on level and honors honors is going to fill it up probably a little bit faster, but they are definitely going to fill that up and and they're going to run out of space fast. And here's the thing. Uh, if you don't already have some notebooks around for that moment, for some of these that you've already purchased yourself or your school's purchased, um, that almost breaks the cycle sometimes because trying to get the parents, you know, they might not have money that week or whatever. So there might be four days or five days that go by and you have to wait till payday for the student to get their notebook back. But the whole time they're over there going, well, I I can't, uh, I don't have a notebook. So I typically keep some on file. So just blank ones. And then I hand them out as they run out. So I typically provide the second notebook for each one of them usually unless their parents can they already have one in mind so I usually say do you already have do you have another notebook you're I see you're running close to running out are you getting another notebook and so from there I play it by ear but I will tell you it will break the cycle uh, the minute that they run out and their parents are like I just already bought you two notebooks why do you need two more notebooks see they don't uh, nobody understands it unless you're in the room and you see this work going on and the volume uh, that these students do. I remember uh, when we used to have content mastery. Uh, we don't really have that so much in our in our schools now. But back then, the content mastery teacher came to my room uh, one day, and the students were. Uh, I guess it, it was before all the digital stuff, right? And they were handing me their papers. These were sixth graders and their pages, they were handing me their papers that were final drafts and they were handwritten and they were two to three pages at a time. I mean, because of the volume that we had delivered and then they hand wrote their final product and then they turned in everything to me along with their process because I would have them at they would actually take, we did a little bit differently back then, you know, not like you and I, because this has been a, a, a process that's developed over time. And, you know, some of our own, your uh, things that worked and things that didn't work. And we pulled all that together to create the system, but um, they would tear out their stuff now, God forbid, but that's what they would do. And uh, they would, you know, put it all together and they would layer it. But they're, but when you put all their process together, uh, it was a huge uh, piece of paper. I mean, lots of paper, stack of paper they were handing me. So anyway, the content mastery teacher happened to come to my room about the time that they were all, they were hand turning all this in as they were going out the door. And she was like, hey, and she took one of them because it was one of her students and she took it out of my hands and she started thumbing through. She said, how did you, how did, how did you get him to do all this work? He, he never does all this work. I mean, I've been working with him in every subject. He never does all this. How did you get him to do this? And so it was just tons of work. And so I think when you have the two system, you know, versus the one, two journals versus one journal, I, I think you're just going to run out of, I think you'll discover that they'll they'll just be prolific in their writing and in their learning. And if you do it every day, uh, the volume is going to be so great. They really need four notebooks for the year, to be honest. That's how I see it. Yeah. I mean, and I did, so I was looking, I don't remember the number, but I crossed a hundred mini lessons this year. Uh, 
which is pretty wild. I don't think I've ever hit a hundred. I did. I definitely didn't last year because we just didn't need that many. Um, but this one, I felt like there was so many small things that I needed to hit on that. It just kind of kept going. Also, we had some behaviors on our campus this year that, honestly, I just yes. needed more lessons to kind of keep things rolling. <laughs> um, just full transparency there. Uh <laughs> But we did, you know, I think we did like 102 maybe. So, I mean, that's a, that's a whopping amount of lessons. And some of those mm-hmm. take up more than two pages. And so you just, I mean, you have an 80-page composition book, right? Like it's not, it's going to get filled up and um, various other things. So I think it, there's a practicality uh, to the two journals. Now, I will say the thing that people usually bring up in this instance, if they're trying to kind of cut down on journals is a lot of it comes down to their, like how they want to store it. If they want to store it. Um, that was something you and I just kind of Mm -hmm. decided we just, we were going to hold them accountable for it, you know? And I know some of our audience, I think some of our patrons too are, well, we know they are, they're, they're elementary teachers. So there might just be other factors there, but I think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, there, I think there's a value to them owning their journals to where they always have them also. Cause the idea is that their craft book continuously be, is something that they reference while they're using the draft book, you know, in practice, it's probably not as much as we envision at all times, but the, the lessons stay, in their brain, they can, uh, because of the structure, I think it connects, uh, I think it connects a little more than if it was just a random lesson and a worksheet that they did. But in any case, the, that, that storing piece is probably the one that happens. Cause you know, journals do get lost and you know, I, I guess I could say if kids stored them in my room, they wouldn't, but that's not true either. Cause I've done it to no. where they've stored them and things get lost anyway, because their friend goes, Oh, that's so-and-so's journal yoink. And they're not being mean. They just do it because kids are kids and they're going to do things like that. And I, you know, it just, it just kind of, you pick the hills you die on, but that, I think that one's also important in this kind of journey talk in terms of just the structure of this stuff is, you know, I, uh, letting them have their journals. It, I think it does give them, uh, it gives them a lot of ownership. Also, if they have their craft books all time at all times, like in their backpack, if they're sick, you can just post a mini lesson and they can just put it right in their craft book. Like it doesn't have to be something you send. So it honestly cuts down on work. Well, that's true. And I do know, um, she was your trainer and my friend, Angie. Um, she actually was the one who first introduced me to this idea of a writer's notebook back in the 90s. Um, and so she did all this research on it. This is even before Linda Reese stuff came out. I mean, she should have published it. I don't know why she didn't. But, uh, but she did her uh, project on writerly eyes and, and looking at, and, and, and using the writer's notebook to, to get the kids to think about writers. She was a fourth grade teacher at the time. And she had these elaborate, I mean, she brought in her presentation to us, um, these huge writer's notebooks and uh, they were writer's notebooks. Now she didn't have the craft part like we do to me. That's what was missing, but she had these crafts and, and these kids were these fourth graders and they were in a lower economic um, 
area. And so they provided, she provided, you know, if the parents couldn't, they the school provided the notebooks. But these fourth graders took their notebooks everywhere and they didn't lose them because these notebooks, she celebrated their writing in these notebooks. They celebrated, she kept one with them. And it was just amazing the work that those students would do. And I think that was that was really when she I presented with her and she presented that to to uh, our audience. She um, she impressed upon me the importance of a writer's notebook and teaching these students how to be and think like writers. And she had uh, fourth graders who were writing daily. They were they were finding something like if they went to let's say a movie with their mom or their dad, or then they would put the little movie ticket in there and then they would write about it. So they wrote about everything in their you know if they if they she she would do a lesson where you know listen in to conversations, kind of eavesdrop, you know, like be a spy, and then find find some quotes that people say, write your quotes down, and then build a, a character around that quote. And so the kids were always going out and and they they had to have their notebooks because a lot of the writing happened uh when they were out investigating their world so it was just really neat the way she presented it and uh, i've i've never seen notebooks that look like that i mean uh, ours are close i mean ours are really uh lot they're they're profound uh but i've just i have older kids so to see the fourth graders doing this was pretty amazing it was pretty amazing you know someone else who does good uh journal work in my opinion is travis crowder i had him on the podcast um a while ago but i've I, you know i followed him and he has a book called reflective readers and it's very you know, he's very kind of like us, you know, he's very honest about, you know, a lot of his ideas, you know, stem from Linda Reef and Penny Kittle and all of them. Um, but he has this kind of unique way of just working with his kids in there in the, the reader's notebook, which would in our case be the craft book is it just really expands on what the kids reading, right? You know, sometimes like, like he, I, I have you ever, I'm sure you have, but have you ever seen like those reader pages that, Penny Kittle has shared them before where it's almost like it becomes a mosaic of quotes, ideas, Mm -hmm. doodles and stuff. And it's like a two page spread and they look really great. And it just shows a lot of the, the, the interaction with content. Um, he does a lot of stuff like that and encourages that. And I think that's really interesting. Um, to be a hundred percent honest, I don't see how a lot of that, I see that really great in like the reflection and um, and really trying to draw out that connection between text and the student. But in terms of just pure practicality, that seems like in in the the ones we see, like these really beautiful two pages or whatever. I feel like a lot of that is very specific to those kids, simply because like not everyone's a doodler, not everyone's a drawer, not everyone thinks like that. Um, but I'm sure they they open that up to a variety of students. But um, I just like the idea of seeing what really connects with your students and playing with it, you know, in, in a craft book, like we, you know, use that right side for the lesson and then the left side for the reflections. But like, I've turned that left side into a dialogic journal a few times, uh, depending on what we were doing. 
as more of a, a focus. Like when we did, we read the crossover last year as kind of like a read aloud and students kind of carried a dialogic journal on the left side of the craft book while we did that. I've had tutorials where kids were struggling with fiction. So we did a book study over holes and we did a dialogic journal, um, with that and that, you know, for people who don't know, the basic idea is you take a, a line, a quote, a piece of a story and kind of put it on the left, like of a, a page that's divided in two. And then on the right, it's like your response to it. And it's like you're talking back to the author in a way, right? That's a, that's a really basic way of understanding it, but that's the essential idea. And I think that stuff is really open for this too. And if you had the craft book, a draft book in the same one, and you were doing all of this, like it's just, you're going to run out of space. It's going to get really convoluted. And that's the other thing is uh, the splitting things up into just these sections that kids can have access to and stuff. It well, Another thing it does is just it's, it's one more level of structure for their thinking, right? It's really easy to flip through their craft book and go, oh, it's this lesson, it's this lesson, it's this lesson. If kids are really in tune, then they'll be like, oh, right, this is when this was fiction, and then we moved to nonfiction. Now, I, I maybe have like a, a few that can do that every year, but um, it's still there. That structure is there if you have kids that are ready to think about it that way or if you stress about it that way. Um, and the draft book is – a little more messy, but it's their messiness. So they're like, Oh yeah, I remember I wrote this. Oh, let's flip back and then they can find what they did. So there's a, a level of, we want to take care of as much structure as we can, because what we're asking them to do is really not structured. We're asking them to think in deep levels. We're asking them to make inferences and to synthesize and to create and to uh, form and to play and to break and all of these other things. And if you want students to do that, you kind of have to get this other stuff out of the way first. You have to have your structure in place. You have to have kids understand the language of this. If they expect... One of the reasons I moved away from doing a lot of really big lessons was because those big lessons were, uh, they broke up my momentum of workshop. So I would be like, oh man, this would be the time where, you know, I would do my big cave or my CIA lesson with all the lasers and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, but I could just keep going with workshop. You know what I mean? So it was, I just started thinking about that of just keeping that momentum at all times. And part of that momentum is structure process and uh, predictability that really does lend itself. It takes that out of the way so kids can work on uh, the other things that they're processing. Hmm. Well, uh, I had something and then it just went right <laughs> out. <laughs> but no, I, I agree. I, I've done the, you know, when I taught social studies, we did the social studies alive interactive notebook. And so I did that. And, um, and so that's similar to what you're talking about, where on the right side, you do one thing on the left side, you respond to it. And so it's the teacher on the right and the student on the left. And so that, you know, that that's good too. But I, I agree with you, you would run out of uh, volume. I mean, you would run out of, because of the volume, you'd run out of uh, pages. But when you were talking about um, responding to the no, uh, to to the novel and to the reading, uh, you know, Nancy Atwell has her letters, literary letters, where you're writing 
to the author. And that could be something you could could do as well. That was that was the thought that came into my brain while you were talking, was using it for, for things like that. So I do think that that left side is open for a lot of, of things. I like to, uh, in that Social Studies Alive, one of the things that they used to do is you do this lesson, and then on the left side, they would do like a, an extended metaphor, and the students would create a metaphor that would represent the lesson. So they could do that with the books. So there's all kinds of ways that you can use that. As far as sections, you mentioned sections. I felt like this year, because we were supposed to do specific tutorials uh, during uh, AI and things like that, so I did use the very back for their AI, just so that if anybody asks, um, like our academic coach who's keeping up with AI hours, if they were having to have a place for AI, then I know for sure if she would ask, are you doing your AI, then they would go, oh, yes, it's in the back of my journal and there would be a spot for that. So if it was something uh, that is expected and I felt like somebody might ask about it, I might put that in a separate spot just so just so that part was covered. Because, you know, sometimes these administrators will walk into your room and ask these kids questions and I want them to make sure the students, I want them to be able to answer these questions. So I try to, I try to make sure that there's uh, things that are uh, a place for that. But, but typically everything goes in that chronological order is how I do it. Well, and I think that, uh, you know, I think it, to leave it up to us to talk for 40 minutes about two journals, but I mean, it really is, it's, it's the stuff that like, these are the conversations that I think we both encourage, um, teachers to just kind of talk about whether alone or with, uh, their partners, which is, you know, it's the kind of the why behind something because, you know, it might be easier to have one. Uh, it might be easier to put it all in a binder. Um, in fact, I could see a binder really being interesting with dividers and stuff if you have the space to hold dividers and the money to get them and whatnot. But, you know, there's something magical about a journal and something to write with. There's something simple about that. It's not complex. There's really nothing special about it. It's been around since journals have been around. You know what I mean? Like it's not Mm -hmm. magic. And I think that's, I think that's why it works. I think kids, you know, there, there's something in the zeitgeist of humanity that we, we, we are called to, to fill up pages. It's, it's like our lives are going down into these, these little books, right? I mean, this is why stationary is such a, I mean, it's a huge industry for a reason. It's not because everyone just writes all the time. It's because, I mean, how many people buy journals and never write in them because they're just, but they want to, right? And that's something that we can kind of give. There's, there's, there's all these little nuances, but um, I, thinking through these as to why, right? I think like I, this is what I was trying to say that I got off on a weird tangent about uh, humanity's desire to write in journals. Um, our <laughs> I just I can't sometimes. Um, the it might be easier to do one way or another, but you know it's when we're making these types of decisions, do we want what's easy or want what works? Do we want something that's more streamlined? But if that streamline doesn't lead to students doing more of the work, then it really doesn't mean anything. So that's, so I don't know. That's kind of my thinking behind it. Like I said, though, to kind of start this off is there's, there's really no right or wrong. We do 
what we do, we have our general rules of thumb just from us doing it for a while and thinking through this, but um, we're always interested to see. And uh, that, uh, that offer is always open. If people want to share something unique that they're doing with their craft and draft books, they can. One of you patrons listening to this, whether you're one of our current patrons or someone new that's jumping into all of these bonus episodes later. But Miss Ocho, do you have any closing thoughts on this ending bonus episode tonight? Well, I think, I think understanding the why you're doing something uh, helps you clarify how you go about doing it. It also helps you uh, justify what you're doing and it keeps you really on the, on your straight and narrow, so to speak, uh, because a lot of stuff I do, people are like, why are you doing that? And it's because I've really thought about my why and I'm not budging. So there's a lot of stuff I don't budge on because like you said, it may not be magical a system, you're right. But what happens in it is so magical that I, I wouldn't do it any other way. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen, for this one. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you, uh, we're making those Patreon dollars worth your time and energy. I want to tell you all, since we're here together, is we're about to hit 10 patrons. And for those of you paying attention and counting and and checking everything out, that was our goal to start doing regular video PDs. Now, these aren't going to all be like an hour or whatever. I don't think y'all want that either. We're going to kind of split them up. We'll do some longer ones, but we'll also do, you know, some short targeted ones and I think that'll give us time to to really explore some interesting things just for you all. Um, also, I figured since we are here, we can ask, and we'll probably do a post about this um, at some point on the Patreon, but we want to do, you know, some type of summer PD, you know, something that a, a premium PD that you guys can sign up for and uh, maybe have some Q&A involved where Pam and I kind of walk through some key aspects of reading and writing workshop or craft and draft or something. So let us know if you'd be interested in attending something like that. Um, we've batted around the idea of doing in person, but honestly, we're just not 100% sure uh how to make it all and well, we know how to make it work, but if if people are even the the listeners are close enough to do that, because when you have a podcast and you're speaking all over the place, we know we have some Texas listeners, but not everyone is based in Texas. So uh we're looking towards digital right now, but you know, hey, let us know if you would want to do an in-person one, a digital one, and then uh, we should have some news at some point as Pam and I join together and combine our ideas. But thank you for listening, thank you for supporting us on patreon it really does help you guys are the mvps and we love talking to y'all send a question if you want something answered we record a podcast pretty much every saturday night if you want to kind of wedge it in there um but sometimes we don't it's summer so who knows what's going to happen we've stayed on schedule so far but it's also only been like three days so we'll see what actually goes down Three days is a good, that's a good start. That's right. So in any case, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening and know that we are here for you. 